mark. She said, oh, no, we haven't cut the cake yet and everything. I said, no, no, it's okay. You keep the gift and, and everything, but it, I just need to have Mark. And so who is the bad guy? I was, all right? But I created a boundary and helped him be secure. And it was a lot of things like that that we do with children. And, and we always operate better when we have curfews, boundaries. And so that's one of the things the law does. The law helps create boundaries for us to keep us safe. Now with that... Let's look at, uh, uh, let's look at uh, Ephesians 20, excuse me, Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. We'll just read the first three here. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and you shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray now that you'd help us to uh, unpack as best we can, Father, the truths that are behind this, that you might help us, Father, become all that we should be. Father, help us to understand these things so we might make you first in our life because you said, I am the Lord, your God, no other gods before. Father, you deserve priority. Help us to understand these things. And Father, again, if there's one that doesn't know you, I pray that you might bless them, Father. Draw them to yourself as only you can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Having the law and having this application to our life uh, can have tremendous benefits too. Uh, a Harvard study, uh, Harvard University found this as they studied marriages in America. And what they found, and this is a few years ago, that the one in three marriages in America end in divorce. Now, one in three in America end in divorce. That's not a good statistic. But to drive it up a little bit, one in 50 marriages end in divorce when the couples attend church. So you go from one in three to one in 50 if the couple is in church. And if marriages... Only one in 1,005 marriages end in divorce for those who read the Bible and pray together. One out of 1,000. So what's, what statistic do you want to be part of? One in three or one of 1,000? And it's just a matter of do you get close to the Word of God? Do you get close to what God wants in our life and apply that to your life? Or are you going to do as you desire? Now, let's take a look at what is God saying to me? Okay, when he says, I am the Lord, what is he saying to us? Well, Jesus repeated this phrase many times in Scripture. And I have a list there for you. First of all, Jesus said, I am the eternal one. I've always been, John 1, 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so, Jesus said, I am the eternal one. He also said, I'm the living water. Jesus, I am the living water. And he spoke that to the Samaritan uh, woman at the well. And he says, if you knew who was speaking to you, you'd ask him because I'd give you water that would never end, living water. Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. In other words, I'm the one that 
protects you. You come in to me and I'll, I'm a gate that keeps out uh, the enemy. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that looks out for you. I'm the one who, uh, uh, who looks out for you, cares for you. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the true vine. He said, I am the alpha and the omega. We go to Revelation. And Revelation 1.18 says, I am the living one, Christ's words. And then the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus says this, I am the bright and morning star. I am the morning star. So God here says in Exodus 20, he said, I am the Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus saying, I am the Lord and I am all of these things to you. And so the, in this case, the first commandment is not set aside. It's reiterated throughout Scripture. Now he also says, I am the Lord, your God. Now I want you to kind of underline that, your, circle, your, I am your God. This is a personal relationship. God says, I am the one who want to enter into a personal relationship with you. I'm not some ethereal being out here somewhere so distant that I can't be with you. He says, I am your God, personal, close. I'm in relationship with you. He's not distant. He, it can be personal and intimate. He's speaking of a relationship. Your God, a relationship with you. So God is not only an uh, uh, almighty, and he is the bread of life. He is, uh, he is the gate. He is the good shepherd. He is also a knowable God and an approachable God. He is one that you can approach. You don't have to go through an intermediary. You don't have to go through somewhere. It was when Jesus died on the cross, the last words he spoke is, it is finished. And when he said that, it is finished, the temple veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies split right in half and was pushed back that signified God has now pushed back the veil that separated man from God. And so now we have, when he says, I am the Lord, your God, meaning he is a personal God. He is an approachable God. You don't have to have anybody that takes you to the Holy of Holies. God has done that through Christ's death on the cross. And so he's approachable. You can, you can come to him. He is the God, your God. And you know, this God knows even the numbers of hairs on your head or the lack thereof. He knows everything about you. There's nothing about you that he doesn't know because he is a personal God. I am the Lord, your God. You're mine. I know you. I know every need you have. I know every uh, thought you have. I know every struggle you have because I am your God. Now, it goes on in, in Exodus 20 there. It's a, verse 1. It says, or verse 2, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of slavery. Here it tells us that Israel came out of Egypt and it was God who did it. Remember, it, when God brought them out of Egypt, he's just reminding them now just a few years ago, a few months ago, we crossed the Red Sea. And what happened before we left? Before you left, 10 plagues came. And then on the night of the Passover, 
I told you to go and ask the Egyptians of anything that you wanted, and you looted Egypt. You carried away more gold, more silver, more precious cloth, more precious possessions than you've ever seen in your life. You carried them away because I did that for you. I am the God who brought you out of slavery and set you free. And now there is no taskmaster over you. And folks, it is the same way today. If you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you come to the Father through Christ, who is the only way that you can come is through Christ, then he said, I'm the one who brought you up out of slavery. I'm the one who set you free. Notice Ephesians 2. I have printed right here for you. Uh, follow along as I read it. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Now, what that scripture says is, you and I were born, and at the moment we understood our sin and our relationship, you died and were dead, and it was your sin that made you spiritually dead. Now, when the Bible speaks of death, it doesn't mean when the body ceases to function. Uh, that's not death in Scripture. In Scripture, death means a separation from God, an eternal separation. There is life and there's death. Life is in heaven, death is in hell. And he says, you were dead in your transgression and sin. So you were once dead, headed right to an eternal hell, but I came to you and I set you free. Notice the rest of this verse. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. So this personal God, I am the God who brought you up out of slavery. I am the God who brought you up out of spiritual death into spiritual life. He's a personal God. He's a delivering God. I am God. Therefore, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, the problem with other gods is, what's an, what's a, what is another god? Another, another god is anything that controls you. Anything that controls your life is another god. Now, the Israelites, when they went into Canaan, into the promised land, they came across three gods. The first one was Moloch, or Chemosh. Chemosh was the god of power. You can read about him in 2 Kings 3. Uh, and so the Canaanite people worshipped him for power. They just expected to see power. And they made human sacrifices to him. It was, he was such a perverted god. Just, but, but human sacrifice to Chemosh was a god of power. The second god they ran into was Moloch. Excuse me, Baal. I got my mammoth. Um, Baal was the god of perversion. And even today, if you go into the land of Israel, you can see as in their archaeological digs, you find these altars and these shrines of worship set up for Baal, and they've got all kinds of, uh, of terrible um, uh, statues and stuff that, uh, I don't really mention them, but it's the god of perversion. And that's why they're very perverse people. And the third one was the mammon. He was the God of possessions. And God, and remember Jesus said, you cannot serve both uh, uh, God and mammon, mammon possessions. So three things. They ran into three gods. And you know, can you recognize these? Don't they sound familiar? A God of power, a God of perversion, and a God of possessions. Now you can worship these other gods by desiring power. 
And so you do and you work and you connive and you try to do things in order to put yourself in a position of power and authority. I mean, everybody needs to know who I am. I'm one of the pillars of the church. You know, you know the problem with a pillar? They go around saying, I shall not be moved. <laughs> but power, that can happen to any of us. We try, And there are some uh, folks who once they uh, have all the money in the world now, money, they've got all of that. Now they want power. Think of George Soros, for instance, multi-billionaire. And he's trying to influence and change the world into socialism. A man who made his money in capitalism is trying to change it to socialism. But he's after power. And, and any of us can do the same thing. We can fall into that problem where we all of a sudden are trying to worship or we let control uh, a God of power. God of perversion. Man, our country is so perverse. You, you have to be careful just, of the, just some of the emails that I get, the junk emails that come in, that all kinds of perversion. Click on this, you know. Um, and just one or two clicks, and all of a sudden you're in some of the most perverse sites, websites, where they bring garbage right into your life. Television is not much better. Uh, in fact, it's just as bad. And, and some of these channels like uh, HBO, I mean, I think it was somebody years ago put the title on it, Hell's Box Office, and I think it's exactly right because of the perversion that comes through the thing. And so people are caught up in perverse lifestyles and perversion. And, and it's easy. I tell you, folks, um, perversion has a bondage. It creates a bondage that grips your heart and life. Uh, years and years ago, I had a, a, a friend, a man, I, Lord, let me lead to Christ, Jerry Bonafonte. And Jerry uh, was a practicing homosexual uh, and very much so until just great conviction came over his life. He came to the church, and long story short, Jerry gave his life to Christ, and he had to try to find another occupation to get into because everywhere he turned, he was being propositioned by other homosexuals. And we sat and we talked a lot about this, and the, the bondage, the, the struggle that he had because of that perversion is a bondage. I never really quite understand until I started talking to Jerry, and I saw how... It had gripped him, and no matter where he turned, man, it was around him and trying to draw him back into it. God's of perversion. And so what happens is, you know, you can give into, uh, you say, well, a little bit of, uh, uh, of pornography is not going to hurt anything. I can stand against that. That's baloney, folks. It will draw you in a perverse Attitude and being drawn into to perversion and serving a God of perversion will get hold of you and grab you like you've never known. And the only way, I remember the night that Jerry was set free, we were pre preaching on Romans through Romans, and he came, we came to that verse that said, uh, know you not that you are, you, you've been set free. You're no longer slaves to sin. And Jerry jumped up and stood in the seat and did a little dance, a jig in there, and, and <laughs> I never forget the two ladies who were going, oh, he's standing in the pew. <laughs> but Jerry was set free. You could see it all of a sudden, that bondage that so gripped him, a perversion, was broken. 
And that's the power of Christ. That's what Christ does. It sets you free. And, and the other God is that we get into in America is the God of possessions. You know, you can tell, you know, who who gathers the most toys when he dies wins. No. I saw that bumper sticker in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale. We lived down there years, years ago. It said, uh, he who has the most toys when he dies wins. No, I'd, I'd add to that, he who has the most toys when he dies is still just dead. <laughs> uh, and uh, they're going to take a probate sale and sell everything you got. But we can be controlled by possessions. And so these, these gods that the Israelites faced, Chemosh, Baal, and Mammon, folks, it can happen to us. It can happen to us. That's why commandment number one says, you'll have no other gods before me. So how do I apply this? Okay, knowing this and knowing what Israel went through, how do I apply this in my life? Well, first of all, remember this. A God is anything that controls your life. A God is anything that controls your life. So what is it that controls? Well, here's, here's the principle. The principle is this. Put God first. That's basically what commandment number one is saying. Put God first in your life. <clears throat> Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all, A-L-L, all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. So if you will put Him first and in all your ways, A-L-L, all your ways, acknowledge Him, He'll make your path straight. Now, let's look at that. So, how do we apply this? Is make God first. Now, whatever you want God to bless, put Him in first place in. Now, I've got this acrostic there for you. First, F-I-R-S-T, okay? If you want God to bless your finances, put Him first. Put Him first. If you want Him to bless your finances. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. <coughs> so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. All right, now is God first in your finances? You know what? Give me your checkbook. Let's just walk through your checkbook. And I can tell who has priority in your life as to where your finances go. Is he first? Do you want God to bless your finances? Then put him first. That, that's how you get his blessing is put him first. Um, and here in 1 Corinthians 16, it says this. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and saying, every week, just set aside the first part. And when we, when we get there, the need that the church in Jerusalem needs, it'll all be taken care of. So first, set us, make him first in your life. And a good place to start is the tithe. 10%. Now, you say, well, is that gross or net? Well, how do you want God to bless you? Uh, you want him to bless you on the gross, you want him to bless you on the net, all right? <laughs> gross, the first fruits given to Caesar, that which is Caesar's given to the Lord, that which is the Lord. Give to him. 
You say, well, I don't know. I can't do that. I mean, you know, <laughs> well, at first we thought, well, we'll sneak up on this thing. We'll give 2%. We'll give 5%. No, just give 10%. And it works in every culture. Whether it's rupees or rubles or dollars or yen, the principle is the same. Give 10%. And all God's people said? Amen. All right. <laughs> do you want God to bless your finances? Put Him first. Put Him first in finances. The next thing, you want God to bless your interests. Your interests. If you want Him to bless your interests, then put Him first. Remember, a God is anything that controls your life. You'll have no other gods before me. Now, interests. Uh, you know, 91 times in the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. 91 times in the, in the first five books of the Bible, it says, put God first. You'll have no other gods before me. So, in your interests, okay, well, I, I, love, to, I love to make and fly model, model airplanes, all right? Well, put God first in that. You know, you don't do it on Sunday. You worship on Sunday morning okay and you know I love to uh, in my interest I love to uh, have this recreational activity and so I uh, golf so Sunday morning I'm gonna golf well you want God to bless your life put him first which means first place is not second place in whatever interest now you fill in the blank whatever your interests are make him first you say well how do I do that okay well, whatever interest you are, whether it's golf or bowling or cars or shows or fishing or whatever, use that as a platform to honor Him. Share the gospel with the people around you. Love them, but make Him first. So finances, interests, how about relationships? Do you want God to bless the relationships of your life? Then put Him first, Ephesians 5, 32. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And this is Ephesians 5. This is where God is speaking to us about marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. These relationships, do you want God to bless those relationships? Then put Him first. Now, sometimes this is difficult to do. My dad had a real difficulty with relationships. Just, he struggled. I don't know why he just, now he's never met a stranger. But as far as really having family relationships, he really struggled. Um, so much so that my youngest brother said he would not even walk across the street to stomp on his grave. That's how much he despised my dad, his dad. Uh, and it made him bitter. But what about the relationship then back at your house? Now, one of the things, you know, my dad did some things that I'm not real pleased with, and I spoke to him often about. But he was still my dad in the scripture, in uh, fact, the fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. I honored him as my father because he was my father. And I believe because of that, because I put him first, and he even came to live with us for, for a couple of years, uh, as my kids were growing up, I believe what's happened is it has really increased the relationship I have with my own sons. 
Uh, I remember a story, this is a Chinese, uh, and I don't know how much truth is, but it's a good illustration. So let me just share the illustration with you. I'm not sure of its source, but it was of a, of a Chinese man who one day, uh, you know, and, and it was China, this is back in the 30s, 20s or 30s, life was very, very difficult, and they had to do everything they could to try to scrape together to get even food. And so everybody had to be productive, even the children, planting rice and working the rice fields and this sort of thing. And finally one day, Dad uh, takes grandfather, who now is infirm and, uh, and in the home, and he can't do anything. And so father puts grandfather in a wheelbarrow and gets a little bit of rice and a jug of water, and he starts supposing the house. And the son, who's about 12, says, Dad, where are you going? Well, I'm taking grandfather and I. We're going up to the, to the mountain, up on the mountain. He says, can I go along? This, this father says, well, sure, if you want to. And so they're pushing along in the wheelbarrow up the mountainside. And he says, Dad, why are we going up the mountain with Grandfather? Well, you know, son, things are difficult, and all of us, you, your sisters, me, your mom, we all have to work really hard just to make enough uh, to make food for our home. And he says, Grandfather can't really do anything, and so he's become kind of a liability to us. And so I'm taking him up to the side of the mountain. I'm going to leave him there with some food and water. We're going to go back down. And you're going to leave him there? Yes, we're just going to leave him here on the side of the mountain. And so as they were walking up the mountain, pushing, and about uh, 20 minutes later, the son says, you know, Dad, I'm really glad I'm coming with you on this trip. He says, why? He says, because now I'll know what to do with you when you get old. <laughs> he turned around and brought Grandpa back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he brought him back. Relationships. Do you want God to bless the relationships in your life? Do you want God to bless the relationship with your husband, with your wife, with your children? Then put God first in those relationships. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit as the church does to its head, Christ. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Put God's word first if you want him to bless relationships. So you want God first in your finances? Put him first. In your interests, whatever you do, whatever you're about, put him first. In your relationships, make him first. Do you want God to bless your schedule? Do you want God to bless the time that you have on this earth that you might accomplish the things you need to accomplish. For those of you who are working, this is important. Uh, Ephesians 5, 16. Let's just read that one here. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So make the most of your time, but make sure you put God first in your schedule so that you understand what... His will is for your life. Mark 1.35. Let, let's read this one together, okay? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. What was Jesus doing? The first part of his day. He put the Father first. In his schedule, he put the Father first. Martin Luther, the man who started the Reformation, a Catholic monk who uh, 
uh, understood, finally came to understand that grace, uh, uh, that salvation is through grace by faith and started the Reformation. He didn't mean to do that. It just kind of fell out of that. But he started in the mornings, he would pray for an hour. And then he said, I started praying for two hours, started praying for three hours. And, he, and one of his students asked him why he spent so much time in a prayer. And he says, you know, I started praying and, and I realized there was so many things on my list to do. He says, I had to spend more time with God before I could even begin to accomplish anything in my schedule. So you want God to bless your time on earth, want to bless your schedule? Put him first. Put him first. Do you want God to bless your troubles? Your troubles, the struggles you have. Do you want God to intervene? Do you want God to step into the struggles that you have in life and you want him to bless that? Well, look at Psalms 50, 15. It says this. Now, let's read this one together, okay? And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. You want God to step into your troubles and to bless you that? Put him first. Call upon him in the day of trouble. You know, when you get into trouble, when you get into struggles, when there's conflict, when it gets beyond your ability to handle it, pray. Bring your troubles to him. You might say, you mean it's come to that? Yeah. <laughs> if you want him to bless that, if you want him to step in and take hold of that, then put him first in your troubles. And there's a promise. He says, I will deliver you. You see that promise? Call upon me in the day of trouble. And there's a promise. I will deliver you. Now, it might not be in the way that you expect, but he says, I will deliver you, and I will set you free from that. And when it's done, you'll honor me. So do you want God first? How do you make him first? How, how do I apply this? We'll have no other gods before me. Well, if you want your finances, put him first. Going to bless your interests, the things you do, the things you're interested in, put him first. You want to hit your relationships? Put him first. You want him to bless your schedule, your activities? Put him first. You need him to intervene in the troubles, the struggles you have in life. Put him first. That's how you honor him. And if you're not, then you need to make some adjustments. Because this is that first mile marker on this highway to happiness. The way you get happy, the way you bring joy into your life is to let the Lord become first in those areas. Amen. Let's pause and pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, burn these truths in our heart. There's a, we've covered a lot of ground here, Father, but I know that there are as many needs in this room as there are individuals. And that every one of us can identify with one of these areas where we maybe have not put you first. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's relationships. But Lord, whatever the area is in each life here, Father, impress on them in this moment their need to turn and rely on you. Putting you first. Because you are the Lord, our God. In fact, you said, I am the Lord, your God, a very personal God. But Father, there may be somebody here that has not made him, made you their personal God. They still are struggling with gods of power or possessions or perversion in their 
letting other things control their life. Lord, as I extend an outward call to their heart and life, I pray that in this moment you might extend that inward call to their life and draw them to yourself as only you can. Now I'm going to pause in my prayer with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Would, would you ask the Lord, Lord, I want to make you first in blank, fill in the blank of my life. I need a miracle in this area of my life and I want to put you first. Would you pray that? Father, help me to make you first in my life. It could be there's someone here and you say, I don't know how. I, I'm, I'm not sure I understand how to make God the priority of my life because I don't know him personally. Well, the way that we come to know him personally is through Christ. All of us are sinners. And if we violated this first commandment and not made God first, then that makes us a sinner. We've broken God's law. Actually, we're being broken on God's law. And Jesus came to pay the penalty for sin because that's what it is. When we violate God's law, that's a sin. And Jesus came to die on a cross to pay the sin debt. So I want to ask you, in this moment, if you've never understood that Christ, God himself, who walked on this earth, loved you and gave himself for you, would you take a moment now and surrender your life to him? You say, Dave, how do I do that? Well, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, acknowledge who you are, a sinner. Isn't that simple? You know you're a sinner. I know I am. I know what I've done. I know what I am capable of. So just acknowledge that and say to him in prayer, just simply say, God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I know that. Now, B, would you believe that Jesus, God the Father, and Jesus the Son loved you enough that Jesus went to the cross and died for you? He did that. For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whosoever would believe, that's all it takes, is a belief. Believe in him, believe in Christ, and you'll not perish, but have everlasting life. So acknowledge who you are, a sinner, and believe that Jesus loved you enough to die for you, and then see, call on him. Right now, right where you're seated, Say, Lord Jesus, I open the doors of my heart to you and I call on you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and set me free. Christ is a gentleman. He won't come where he's not invited. You have to invite him. Now, if you've done that, then simply say to him, thank you. Any way you want to, any way you desire to, just say thank you. And the reason you can say thank you, Jesus, for saving me and for delivering me is because God's word in Romans chapter 10 says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. You've been saved from the penalty of sin and you've been set free. Just tell him thank you. Now, Father, I pray that miracle has happened in someone's life here today. 
Give them now the boldness to take their rightful place in the household of faith. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. I'm going to extend an invitation. We're going to receive our offering and then we're going to be dismissed. But the invitation is very simple. And the invitation is this. I want to invite you to respond to whatever it is that God has said or spoken to you in your life. It's an invitation. <clears throat> we just invite you to respond. Nobody's going to compel you to do anything. I, I am not going to, nobody's going to come grab you and say, I recognize you're a sinner. You need to come. No, no. This is an invitation. And I simply am a mouthpiece for the Lord Jesus at this moment and saying, I invite you to come to give your life to Christ. And if you've never done that before, I invite you to do that now. Now, let me explain why we do this. It's not to embarrass anybody. In fact, I wouldn't embarrass a soul. I would, I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I, I'm not going to turn you around. Let, but I want to invite you to respond this way. Why? Because in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus Christ himself said this. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Now, most of the folks in this room have done that. They have openly, publicly walked this aisle, stood here, and declared by their presence, without saying a word, I'm going God's way today, and I want the world to know that he's mine. And so I invite you to do the same thing. And if you're here today and you've never openly, publicly confess Christ as your Savior, then this is your opportunity to be obedient to Matthew chapter 10 and 30, 32 and 33 of declaring Christ without saying a word. Your presence here says, I'm going God's way. What will happen then? I'll pray with you. One of our people will get with you and put some material in your hands, answer any questions you might have. You can get up and walk away anytime you want to. But in just a few moments, we'd like to be a blessing to you and give you some things to help you in your next step with a Christian life. So that's the invitation. Could be that you're already a believer. You're looking for a church home. You've moved your magazine subscriptions, your family, your furniture, but you've not moved your church membership. And God is telling you, you need to be part of this fellowship. I want you to be the first ones down the aisle. You'll be the very first one to serve as an escort for someone else to encourage them. But we'll start then the process. We'll get you with one of our people. They'll get some information and start the process of folding you into the life of our church. So that's the invitation. Could be that you're out there and you say, I don't know what I need. I, I, I just got a lot of questions still. You bring your questions. We'll sit with you quietly, privately, answer your questions. You can get up and leave anytime you want. Okay? That's the invitation. So we're going to stand together and sing, and it's going to take us 30 seconds maybe to sing through a verse of Scripture. And in that time, you come. This is the invitation time. Let's stand together right now. Would you come? If you're the one... Is there one? invitation is always open uh, and even after we're dismissed if you'd like to speak to me or to brother john just privately we'd love to talk with you but whatever you do don't go away without christ today okay we're going to receive our morning offering and if you have communication cards you need to share with us drop those in the offering plate 
as we receive our offering this morning. Father, thank you for the privilege we have of, of honoring you with our substance, of putting you first in our finances in our, and making you Lord of our possessions. That's an act of obedience. And so, Father, we thank you for, and welcome you for giving us that opportunity today. I pray now, Father, you bless the gift and the giver. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I appreciate our instrumentalists so much because when I was a kid and I uh, threw a fit when they talked about having me have do piano lessons when there was fish to catch and football to play, I thought, uh, but boy, how I appreciate <laughs> our ladies who stuck with it and did the stuff, all right? So anyway, uh, tonight we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter uh, 5, the end of chapter 5, and so if you want to come and see by the greatest revival that ever happened in the nation of Israel. We're going to be studying that tonight. Somebody you know needs to know the Lord, have them with you at your side when we come together, okay? And Friday night, remember Friday night as our uh, Valentine's uh, meal. And so, uh, again, don't invite the guy, invite the wife, and she'll be sure the guy gets there. Right, Daphne? Okay, so, all right. God bless you all. You're dismissed.
Yes, sir. Uh, 